Hi, everyone. I'm Jill Smokler, and I've got issues. I've got a ton of issues, actually, and I'm pretty sure you do, too. And I'm positively sure we'll both feel better having talked about them. And that's what this podcast is all about. So let's get started. Rebecca Wolf is someone I've known online for almost 15 years. Her blog, Girls Gone Child, was among the very first mommy blogs I ever read, and I just fell in love with her raw and vulnerable writing and the way she was just willing to put herself out there for the world to see. I asked Rebecca to come on and talk about her new book, All of This, A Memoir of Death and Desire, because it's unlike any other book I've read on grief, and I thought it would be good to share. My book is called All of This, A Memoir of Death and Desire, and uh, it is about my experience navigating my husband's death, which came after a very tumultuous marriage. We had been married for 13 years. Uh, the majority of that marriage was not uh, happy. <laughs> um, the last two years were especially hard. And weeks before his terminal cancer diagnosis, I finally told him that I wanted a divorce. Um, so you can imagine it was a very complicated time to finally be, have, I grieved my marriage. I mean, I Mm -hmm. was grieving my marriage pretty much throughout my entire marriage. So I was finally at a place where I felt like I had to leave. Um, I didn't even know if I could figure out how to do it financially or any of the other ways, but I was at a point where I was like, if I don't get out, like I, this is, it was, it was really bad. So I finally was like, I'm out. And then, uh, he started getting stomach pains really soon after that. We barely were speaking to the point where when he finally got so bad that he had to go to the emergency room, I wouldn't even take him Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I was so angry. And also, I didn't really believe him Mm -hmm. um, because he was always – there was always something. There was always some catastrophe. Uh, That is exactly (laughs) how I would have dealt if my ex had needed to go to the emergency room. I would have just been like, go deal with it yourself. You're full. Yeah. Right? Like there was – Yes, there was always a catastrophe. There was always he was always dying. Um, so finally, I was like, you know what? I don't want to deal with this anymore. Um, you go take a fucking Uber to the hospital, and I'll yep. stay here with the kids. And that's what he did. And then he found out in triage, he didn't even have a room that he uh, had stage four pancreatic cancer that had already metastasized into his liver and lymph nodes, and he was dying. So he called me from the hospital to be like, "Hey, I'm actually." dying for real. Um, so, you know, the, the, the feelings that I had in that moment and for the four months he was dying, uh, were complicated, very complicated. Uh, and they were the kind of complicated that I couldn't even really articulate, wouldn't really allow myself to explore even, you know, with myself. And, and by the way, like our, our marriage, I do not think was, anything out of the ordinary. I think we had a very mm-hmm. typical and happy marriage. I think what went down, our dynamic was not anomalous to my experience. And, and over the last four years, talking to widows, women going through divorces, women still in their marriages, they want to leave. 
it's like the most normal story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt, you know, I felt really strongly. I, I had no, I had no community. I had no, I didn't know anyone who had lost a spouse. I didn't know anyone who had lost a spouse and felt complicated feelings, or at least were willing to share them. So I really had no community. I had no one to relate to. I had no one to really talk to about the feelings that I had. People were bringing me books, all these books on widows, all these books on dying and cancer and all these things. And they, none of them rang true or even like touched my experience. Mm -hmm. And I'm a writer. I write about my life. I've done this for 25 years. So for me, it was like, there's no story out there for me to access, for me to feel seen. Um, so I guess I, I'm going to write my own. And I knew I was going to write this book. Hal knew I was going to write this book. He had mm-hmm. said to me when he was dying, you have to write about all this when I die, which is sort of where the title came from. And I don't, you know, obviously he did not consent to what I wrote. He was dead. Um, and in the years I wrote about him in our marriage, which I, I was, I was not, I wrote about, I wrote about having a difficult marriage. It's a lot of what I wrote about, um, but but I had him read everything before I posted. I never posted mm-hmm. anything without his consent, ever. Um, so you know, he. I think he probably assumed I would filter this story in the same way I filtered all my stories, which were, you know, as a wife who was who was protective of him, um, mm-hmm. who you know held his story you know, in, in a way that framed him and me in a certain way. And after he was dead and I sort of, I mean, he wasn't here for me to, you know, for me to, you know, ask for his consent. But also there was this other part of it where it's like, I've gone through my life writing my story and it's been an honest story, but I've been very focused on the parts of it that are light-filled you know, where there's optimism, hope, joy, and not necessarily on the whole scope of the experience. And so I wanted to tell a story, my story, my truth, and include all of it. I wanted to talk about the beauty and the poetry of death and love and like the complexity of that. And I also wanted to talk about how difficult it was for me and how hard our marriage was and how there was a lot that I didn't even realize was hard until he was gone. I think you really understand you know, your trauma and abuse and all these things when you're on the other side of it and you realize it's not in your life anymore and you're so much happier and so much healthier and so much better off. So I was having, I was going through so many different feelings after he died. And a lot of my grief experience was grieving my life that I had spent, you know, unhappy. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think a lot of, a lot of you know, where I was coming from when I was writing this book and where I'm coming from now as I'm exploring this, you know, when I have a column and I write about, you know, I, I'm, I'm writing all the time about this still is wanting to validate my feelings, every single one of them, and also to validate everyone's feelings, every single one of them. There's no wrong way to grieve. There's no, it's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel relieved when someone has died, even if you loved them, even if they're the father of your children. It's okay to talk about that. It's okay to talk to your children about that. I think, you know, we're so precious when it comes to death and when it comes to our children and wanting to protect them from the truth. And so we lie to them and we lie to them and we lie to them and we expect them to grow up to be adults 
that are prepared for the world and for marriage and for death and all these things. And they're not, they're like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. I thought it was supposed to be X. So I, you know, I feel really strongly that talking openly, you know, with my family, with my children, with strangers, I think this is all really important because there's nothing to be ashamed of when it comes to your feelings, right? Okay, I'm going to quote you writing about Hal at the very end. The moment his life force left his body, I felt something happen to mine. Something was stirring in me. Almost everything I was feeling felt impossible to say out loud. I was angry. I was relieved. I was turned on. People would bring me books about grief and how to heal, and I flipped through them and felt worse. I felt like a monster, a pervert, a sociopath. Those are a lot of complicated feelings. <laughs> were you, at the time you were going through them, honest with your people about it, or did that not come until later? It took me. It took me a while. In fact, there's a there's a chapter at the, towards the end of my book um, when I basically talk to my cousin Erica. She's it's it's towards the end, and I I basically confess to her that I'm relieved, and she's like, yeah, and I was like you know, like, oh, and I'm, and she's somebody that like, was like one of my top, I mean, I try, I so trust her. I've known her since I was born. We grew up together. She's my like sister. Mm -hmm. And I told her that. And I remember her saying, you know, yeah, I, I like, I'm like, does that make me a bad person? And she's like, no, that makes you a person. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whew, okay. Okay. Um, but I was afraid to talk to, I mean, I wasn't, I had, you know, I was, I was having like a whole thing on my porch. I'm like pointing as it was literally right <laughs> here. I was having a whole thing with somebody because I couldn't leave my house. My kids were here. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't leaving them. Like I, I was with them 24 seven. If I need, like, I never left them with anyone in the, the, those first few months, obviously. Um, but I also was having sort of this, um, you know, this relate relationship's the wrong word. I was having a an affair or an experience with somebody. And so in order to do that, I was outside of my house on like the porch, which is enclosed and like watching into my house and, and trying <laughs> to like, and that people didn't know about that. Like I was, I was, I mean, I was keeping things relatively secretive yeah. Um, in the very beginning, because I didn't know how people were going to receive it. Um, and I remember actually, and this was something that was omitted from my book. There's a lot that didn't end up in there. And this is probably the one scene that I regret cutting. It was just, I wrote a book that was twice as long as it was supposed to be. When I turned it into my editor, she was like, this is 110,000 words. It's supposed to be 60. Oh, and I was like, oh God. So I had to like really choose what felt like important or what felt like it needed to be there, you know? So, but there was this moment where I went to dinner for my friend's birthday and, um, she, at this time, she knew like my best friends knew that I was having sort of this like relation, this like secret love affair with this guy. Um, but no one else did. And we were sitting at the table for her birthday and this woman was at the table and she started talking to me about how she just got out of a divorce and she started dating and she was like talking about how excited she was to be dating and how fun it was. She was, you know, married for 25 years and was like, ah. 
was like showing me this guy that she was going to go out with and like her apps and all this other stuff. And it was, she was, so she was the first person that I kind of confessed to. And I was like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like dating too. And she was like, you are. And I was like, yeah. And we were like kind of whispering about it. And then (laughs) people were kind of like at the table, like ears perking up, like, what are you guys talking about? And so finally I was like, oh, okay. It was like the first time I'd ever like told anybody, especially a group of women, a lot of whom I didn't really even know very well. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm like sleeping with someone and after dinner, I'm I'm like going to leave a little early to go to his house. And then (laughs) I, um, I when I got up to leave the table, I was like, okay, I'm gonna leave. Every single woman at the table stood and started clapping. <laughs> and I burst into tears, like burst into tears. Because they all knew where I was going. It's like I kind of, you know, I mentioned it and they were like, oh, okay. And then I it was like, because it was it was that feeling of validation. And yeah. I think that moment for me was so like, it really p- sort of punctuated everything where I was like, oh my God, like why? Like, first of all, I was like, I have not given my friends or women or people enough credit. I've just, because societal standards dictate X, I was feeling like I needed to be X. Mm-hmm. But here I was like, I'm being Y. And they were like, yeah, go Y. And it, it was just like, oh, yeah, fucking women are amazing and they support me and I want to support them. And I keep thinking about that moment and how I can be the one at the table applauding the woman for doing the maybe not societally acceptable thing. Do you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and how I'm operating in my relationships and my work and what I'm doing to be that person at the table who's rising to clap. Um, because that that feeling of validation, especially when you're not expecting it is like life changing. When you put yourself out there as honestly, as you have, I'm assuming the feedback is not always positive. Um, has there been criticism that you've had to deal with? And if so, what has that been like? It's so interesting. It's like, it's such, it's such a, like that writing this book and sort of receiving the criticism I've received and the judgment and like the people who are like trying to make me feel bad about it. It's been mm-hmm. really interesting because it's the first time in my life where I'm like, oh, I don't, like, it's not a fa-. like, you know, those scenes in like those superhero movies where someone doesn't know their power yet. And like someone shoots them and they think they like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I'm dead. And then they look down and like, the, the bullet didn't hit them. That's yeah. been me. And then you're like, oh. And then you just keep walking towards the bullets and people are just firing at you and they're just bouncing off of you. Like mm. I had a moment with this book because there's a, I mean, there's, I mean, things that I will never talk about, but that have gone down behind the scenes and things that people have said. And um, that I think, I mean, I know in the past would have like really hurt me or really caused me to second guess myself. And it's in the complete opposite where I'm just like, oh, that's how you feel. Like I, I'm so like sure (laughs) of who I am and what I want and what I'm capable of and what I'm, uh, what I feel like I have every right to express that everyone else's judgment, shame, like it doesn't it doesn't do anything to me because I'm not judging myself and I don't feel shame. And like, that is like, whoa, I'm free. Oh my God, I'm free. And that to me is like, 
the, the value, like it's invaluable, right? Like it's something that I wish for everybody <laughs> just to get to a point where you're like, that's what you think. Okay. Like I, it, oh, you know? Um, and I think a lot of people who are like, oh my God, I can't believe you wrote this book. And we're having like, you know, everyone's like, I have secondhand vulnerability and secondhand this and secondhand that. Like all these people are having this, like, they're like worried about me or they're, there's like this need to protect me or to like hide their eyes. I shouldn't know this about you. And like, I don't, I don't feel, it doesn't feel, it's, it feels, this stuff is very, to me, it's like, there's nothing that I'm writing that feels explicit at all. Is there any feedback you've gotten that's been a pleasant surprise? There was a, um, one of Hal's friends actually posted this in his stories right after my book came out. Um, and he had said that this was, that my book was a love story. And he was the first person that had, that had said that. And I thought it was really interesting and it was true. And I think this idea that a love story is supposed to look a certain way, the sort of happily ever after, that it's about a love that, um, sustains through time or, you know, you have the heartbroken widow at the, at the bedside who, you know, her soulmate is lost and that's a love story. But this, my story is also a love story. And I think my story is, is a more common love story where you have a marriage, you know, it ends regardless of the way it ends. And that doesn't mean it isn't a love story. And I think we, I think we, we don't really think about it in that way. We don't think of divorced divorces or stories like mine as being love stories, but they are. Um, and the love changes and we change. And then the love story maybe goes from being a story about a two people to being about one person in their relationship with themselves. But when he said that, it made me realize that at its core, my book is a love story. It's a love story mm-hmm. about us and and all of the complications of our love and all the complications of my love with myself and my children and my friends. And, um, you know, it's all, it all, and I hope it feels that way when you read it, that it, that I wrote Mm -hmm. this book coming from a place of love and coming from a place of, of validation and I'm not villainizing anyone, you know, especially not Hal. And I mean, I, wanted that to be clear too, that you can be with someone who, you know, is complicated and still feel love for them. You can acknowledge their faults and the pain they put you through and still feel love for them. And that the Mm -hmm. two aren't mutually exclusive and we're so binary and so unimaginative that we don't even think in that, those terms. We just assume Mm -hmm. it's because, you know, because you're writing truthfully about your experience and because your husband, you know, yelled at you and you wrote about it that this is coming from a place of like, I'm dragging him through the mud. And like, that's not it at all. It's like, this is a very normal marriage. And I responded to his death in a way I think was very normal. And I don't, you know, and it has nothing to do with, with the love that I at least at one time had for him and that he had for me. Um, and this was our love story. And for better and for worse, which is, you know, sort of the whole idea of marriage, for better and for worse. Well, there's worse too. What does the worst look like? That was part of it, big part of it. 
a big part of why it didn't work and why it wasn't going to continue. And, you know, I, my marriage ended passively because I didn't end it. Um, and I think a lot of my feelings and experiences after he died came from this place of having a really passive end from my end. Um, being like, God, you beat me to the punch. Like I was supposed to leave you and then you left me. Fuck. Like I, I was finally going to do it. Do you feel closure? Did this book give you closure with Hal, with his death? I have a, I think that closure is a myth. Um, Mm. I don't necessarily think that closure is possible. I think that I'm at peace. I'm at peace with his death. I'm at peace with my life. And I don't, um, I feel, I don't have anger for him anymore, but I should say that with a caveat, with an asterisk, because, you know, you think you have a feeling and you think you're done, or that's what I mean about closure being a myth, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to grief and people who've died. It's like things pop up and they're like, oh, there's these triggers, like even just being in a new relationship. And I just wrote about this in my column recently, like, I'll think that I'm over it or there's, I'm done closure. I'm at peace. And then I'm in a relationship with someone and something happens and it like triggers something else. And suddenly I'm right back in it, in the mess of it and have to like really sort of like sit with my feelings and figure out where they're coming from. And I don't think, I don't think anyone ever really leaves us. I don't think it's, you know, I think that there's, you know, he's in my body forever. Um, Mm -hmm. He's, I carry him with me everywhere and in all my relationships, he'll be there and, and my kids. And so I, I think like I, I've let definitely let it go, but I'm also very aware that it's, he's always here mm-hmm. um, and he always will be. And that that's just like the nature of grief, I guess. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for taking the time to chat with me today. It was great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. You can find Rebecca's book, All of This, wherever books are sold, or listen to the audio version on Audible, which I highly recommend. She's Got Issues is produced by me, Jill Smokler, Kira Shine, and Gwen Sound. Make sure to give us a follow so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And while you're at it, tell a friend, because you know what? It's not just us. She's Got Issues, too. See you next time.